All right, we said that we're going to talk about commitments today, and we're talking about that with Pastor Doug Rowland from Rock Island Bible Church, doing our devotional on a Tuesday. Morning, brother. Morning. Good to be with you guys, and the bacon did smell good. Yeah. <laughs> it tasted even better. I can't, yeah. I can't imagine. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know. Oh, well, I'm glad you're coming to have an intervention with me about commitment, so I'm the, excited. Hey, here we go. Here we go. Well, you right? just you take over the show. I'll go make it for you. See? Uh, there we go. Goes. There we go. Well, it is good to be here, and you know, I'm not sure how you all are this time of year, but I kind of I hit the reset in my life at the new year. There's something mm-hmm. about the rhythm of it, cleaning my room and organizing my office, looking at the calendar, the priorities, all these things, because I find the Lord's just impressing upon me to make a plan. Just make a plan in every area of my life, because if I don't, I'm doomed to wander. I mean, he's calling (laughs) me, and I think really many of us, to make some commitments, particularly related to our role in the local church. Mm. And what do we play in the church? And so at the outset of this year, I want to help you think through how you view the church and and your role in it, because it shapes your expectations, your involvement, your giving, your sense of mission, because we all have subtle and maybe some of us not so subtle opinions and assumptions about the role of the church in our lives and our role in the church. And I mean, maybe you've heard the metaphor about a cruise ship versus a battleship, right, to describe the, the church. I mean, both are ships. Both float because that's how buoyancy works. Both ships have an engine and a rudder. Both carry people, and yet these two ships couldn't be more different. Mm -hmm. A cruise ship meant to really entertain and please people, meet their needs and cater to their preferences. I mean, success for the cruise ship is a five-star rating on Google and maybe a return vacation. But a battleship's different, designed for a very different purpose. I mean, just its design reveals the roles of the people. It's connected to this uh, purpose of of victory, and an individual on board uh, contributes to something greater than his or her wants or... Or desires, their preferences are set aside for this mission. And so I'm hoping mm. you can hear the parallels there to the church. And quite honestly, I want to change the metaphor, though, because I think there's a fatal flaw in referring to the church as the battleship. Because a battleship does all the fighting from the ship. It implies that the church should be the one firing the big guns to the front lines <laughs> of the battle. And now, I came across what I think is a better, more helpful metaphor from Pastor J.D. Greer in his book, Gaining by Losing, Why the Future Belongs to Churches That Send, and he suggests it's better for us to view the church as an aircraft carrier. In Mm. essence, the church needs to see itself as the one deploying the planes to fight battles beyond Mm -hmm. the location of the church itself. It's it's to send people to wage war on the front lines outside the walls of the church. So I'm hoping, again, you can hear how the metaphor changes things. It helps you to think differently about what it means to be the church, your role in the church, and what God has called each of us to do as part of the church. And it calls us to make some serious commitments. Mm -hmm. as part of the church. So I want to take a look at a few verses in Acts 1 this morning to shape some of those commitments at the outset of this year. And so, Jared, I'm going to ask, would you read Acts 1, 1 to 8 for us? Sure thing. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, 
but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you for that. It's you know, in the two, first two verses here, it makes clear, yeah, Luke, Luke's the author. This is the companion volume to his first book, and he's writing really the rest of the story about Jesus without Jesus at the center stage. It's the story of all that happened after what he did and taught and walked the earth. And if you know anything, man, the book of Acts is thrilling. There's so much taking place in the early days of the church, which means this for us, that Jesus empowering his disciples— was always the plan. It wasn't him walking the earth was plan A and the disciples were plan B. It didn't look like that. His exit from the earth and completion of his earthly ministry was marked by giving the disciples a series of commands, making it clear to us that he had more work to do Mm. and that he chose to do it through the Spirit-empowered church, which leads me to commitment number one this morning for us, that we are to commit to making and multiplying disciples. If Luke captured all that he said and did in volume one and says, yeah, there's a whole lot more story coming and it's through his church, then that's the commitment we need to make. It boils down to the fact that we're committed to doing the work that Jesus has left us to do. You see, central to the vision of the book of Acts is the simple fact that multiplication beats addition every time. (laughs) Yes. Especially when we take the long view. And all I can think about is high school consumer economics class, right? Learning the difference between investing small amounts now versus trying to catch up later. I mean, if I were to illustrate this, if I offered you $10,000 per day for the next 30 days, or if I'd start you off with a penny today and say it would double every day for the next 30 days, which would you take? Mm. I mean, people want to go to Galapagos Islands and New Zealand and to the moon. I want $10,000 now to fund the trip, (laughs) right? After 30 days, option number one would be $300,000. But if you doubled that penny each day over those same 30 days, you'd end up with over $5 million. That's the power of multiplication, and it's the power we see throughout the book of Acts. Mm -hmm. The church multiplied itself. People were sent and scattered by God to make and multiply disciples. It wasn't just Paul and Peter inviting people to church. It was every person proclaiming and demonstrating the good news of the gospel that put God's sovereign power on display and multiplied the church. Now, here's the thing. While the book of Acts stops after chapter 28, uh, Jesus is still building his church the same way today through us, Hmm. his people. So I'm calling you to commitment. Right? It means things, right? To, to ver- like verbally sharing the gospel, inviting people to church, Bible studies, getting them in your home for the purpose of helping people to become friends and followers of Jesus Christ. It means investing in the younger generations, even if they're not your own kids, to pass on what's been entrusted to you. Mm-hmm. Because that's how we make and multiply disciples. And that's how the Lord, through his spirit, builds his church. Now, that's entirely overwhelming. <laughs> it is to me. I'll be honest. It, it, except for the fact that we're called to make this next commitment. I'm going to keep us moving. Commitment number two. Commit to resting in and relying upon the power of the Holy Spirit. Hmm. I mean, the, this vision is not dependent on your or my ability to make it happen. I mean, verse 3, Luke's telling us all about what Jesus did after the resurrection. He walked the earth for 40 days. He showed up to a whole lot of people, including his closest friends and followers. And by doing so, he demonstrated death was defeated and the once-for-all sacrifice had been made for sin. He was the risen Savior he claimed to be with all authority. Now, I can't imagine the motivation that is to carry on the ministry, right? If I were to see Jesus after I'd just seen him crucified, died, buried, and then he's walking, like, 
we're getting after this ministry. It's going to happen. We're going to spread the good news. And Jesus says, like any good infomercial, wait. <laughs> There's more. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You There's ain't seen more? nothing. Yeah. That's right. I'm going to send you my spirit. The same power and spirit that rested on me will now rest on you and empower you. I mean, we know that the spirit would be their comforter, their empowerment, the means by which they would accomplish, in Jesus' words, even greater works of ministry, and that is for us today. He sent the Spirit. We're on this side of Pentecost, right? So do you rest in and rely upon that power that's been made available to you? Or is the work you do for the Lord more accurately described as anxious toil? Hmm. Or is the work that you're doing, is it easily explained because you just do it in your own effort? And Jesus says, no, I have greater works. I've given you the one. The counselor has come, your helper, the Spirit. So resting in and relying upon the power of the Holy Spirit might look like a more concerted effort to pray, to to remind yourself of your insufficiency for the task at hand. It could be to pray and ask the Lord for the power of what to do what he's called you to do. He may offer you in those moments any internal confidence, even in the face of overwhelming odds. You ever just have peace when you're up against the wall? Yeah. Where does that come from? Right. It's the Holy Spirit. That's the Lord. He might bring Scripture to mind to equip and then to deploy you for the battle ahead. Scripture that you never thought was in you. Mm. And there it is. Whatever the case, to rest in and rely upon the Spirit's power takes discipline. That's good. Because this world and our flesh naturally want us to rely on self. And we've got to fight that tendency. We've got to and make this commitment at the outset of the year to rest in and rely upon the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, lastly, is this commitment number three, commit to being strategically deployed on God's mission. You know, truthfully, I cannot imagine the whirlwind of emotion that the disciples must have experienced. I mean, again, from the death and burial of Jesus to now seeing and hearing him again, teaching on the kingdom. And so what do they ask about? The kingdom. Yeah. I love disciples. I, I really, I could put myself right there. Like, I would have had the same question. Like, what now? Jesus, is this the time you're going to restore the kingdom? Right? You hear what they're wondering. Is now the time, Lord, that we're going to go from a persecuted minority, right, to a people in power? Is this the time, Jesus? Are we going to do this? Is this the time you're going to show yourself to be the ultimate divine prophet, priest, warrior, and king? Because basically, you know some of the characters on the cast of disciples, right? That's right, yeah. You're, mm-hmm. Some of them are thinking, hey, we're ready to go. If the time's now, let's do this, right? And Jesus totally he re- redirects the question. Hey, guys, that's not the most important thing right now. Hold on a second. You can trust that God the Father has all this in perfect time and in his providential care. But for right now, I need you to focus on the mission. My spirit is coming, and by his power, he will make you effective witnesses. He will equip and embolden you to give testimony about what you've seen and heard about me. If you know anything about the book of Acts, it's filled with what they've seen and what they've heard. That's all he's asking us to talk about. What have you seen? What have you heard? What has he done? How is he changing you, teaching you? What's he teaching you? Listen, those are words for us today. Our mission boils down to this, to telling people about who Jesus is, what he did, and how he's changed us. And we've been given his spirit to equip and embolden us for the task. Now listen, notice where we're to live out this mission. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
It's certainly a structure for the book of Acts as we go from Jerusalem in Acts 1 to 8, right? Judea, Samaria in 8 to 12, and man, the nations in verses, uh, chapters 13 to 28. But there's a personal commitment here, and each of us has got to be committed to being equipped and deployed to these areas of our lives to share the gospel with the people nearest to us. Right, to take the gospel to our neighbors and neighborhoods, to, to engage the areas of greatest need in our city, to bring about gospel transformation, those people who are unlike us, and even further than that, to get the gospel to those who've never heard mm. at the very ends of the earth. And we don't get to pick. Right. You're not Jerusalem, and I get to be Samaria. It doesn't work like that. His spirit has been given to embolden and equip us to reach this world with the good news of Jesus Christ. So let me encourage you, make these commitments, man, together with us to make and multiply disciples, to rest in and rely upon the power of the Holy Spirit, and then to be strategically deployed. <clears throat> Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Amen. What a charge for us. Yes. Appreciate that, Doug. And convicting as well, as uh, we need to be doing that. You know, we're ambassadors for Christ. Time is drawing near. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't know how much time we have left until Jesus comes back. And it doesn't matter. We're, we're given instructions uh, to do that. So appreciate it, Doug. Thanks, yeah, brother. Thank you, Doug. Amen.